playing a million notes is really fun and is challenging in its own way, but having a little bit of restraint makes the louder, more chaotic parts of this record almost hit a little bit harder, in, in my opinion.
Welcome to the Dreams of Consciousness podcast. If you'd be so kind, would the two of you mind introducing yourselves? Yeah, I'm Sam Alvarez. I'm the vocalist in the band Math. I am Nathan Spainhauer, and I wear the bass guitar in the band Math. <laughs> you wear the, the bass guitar, but uh, do you do you also play it, or is it? I wear it good. <laughs> I do. I do play it. I wear it better than I play it, unfortunately. <laughs> You do look pretty foxy with that thing on. I do. That's I can't why. Lie. That's why I've been. You know. That's why I was the guy, man. <laughs> so, guys, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm going to ask you the question that seems to trip up everyone. So feel free to <laughs> to take a few seconds to to think about how you want to answer this. But how would you describe the music of Meth? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I, I mean, Nate kind of summed it up right there. <laughs> I usually, I mean, it's 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 a pretty complicated thing <laughs> to answer in a way that I feel like works. So most of the time, I just either just say like noise or just really loud and annoying. <laughs> but I think for the most part, it's just yeah, just loud, abrasive metal music. I guess yeah, kind of. I, I like yeah. scary core. Oh yeah, you say yeah. That's <laughs> like scary core. <laughs> you know, if we were gonna really try to get, like, really pinpoint it, I think it would be a mix of blackened hardcore with a little bit of sludge and a lot of noise influence. You know, and a touch of Mambo Number no. Five, and a touch of Mambo Number no. Five, <laughs> and it's kind of like if the Buck Cherry guy never got laid. <laughs> instead of <laughs> getting laid a lot you know that's that's as close as i can get so if, if the guy from the darkness uh was <laughs> was covered in his own waist instead of a, a leopard print bodysuit he'd sound like meth that's really close that's <laughs> that is very close you know <laughs> we we've gotten i think recently we got noise rock metalcore and black metal which is pretty close We've gotten black metal power violence before. That that makes sense. I think on the new record, you're going to hear a little bit more sludge influence, a little less of the math core thing that maybe older meth is known for. The riffs are just a little bit slower, a little bit heavier, a little more low IQ. Did you say a little bit low IQ? Yes. Okay. Yeah, like knuckle dragger riffs. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And we can we can discuss the difference between the older Meth album and uh, this this latest one when we speak about your songwriting and we speak about the the latest album. Sure. Would you guys mind telling me a little bit about how Meth came together? Meth, more or less, initially just started as kind of like a bedroom project for me, and then just kind of slowly expanded into just becoming more of a fleshed out band. I took a bigger step back on like my actual hand in songwriting for this record. It really was like a lot of like Nate, Zach, Andrew, Mike, like the core band fleshing everything out and like just coming up with everything together. Zach kind of really engineered a lot of the just general grit and horribleness that kind of goes through the record. And I really just kind of wanted to focus a lot more on like 
the art direction and just lyrics and just everything more in that vein, just to kind of see how that goes. And yeah, I just think as we've progressed over the years and everything too, like the lineup that we have right now is very much just, it's, it's very solidified as, as opposed to like our prior lineups and everything where we kind of have like a lot of rotating, like more of a rotating cast and just kind of whoever felt like coming in and contributing was more than welcome to come in and out as they pleased. And yeah, I, I can't let Nate leave now. <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of stuck here, bud. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so I want to back up just a little bit. You mentioned that you started Meth as a, a bedroom project. Mm-hmm. As far as filling out the lineup, I understand there's kind of a funny story as far as where the band members came from. Oh yeah, so I had I used to play in a band called Tweak, just like. Uh, a lot of the core guys in the original lineup of Math had played in a, another like metalcore band from the area called Blacknail, and we played a lot together. And the other two guys in Tweak were relocating to the East Coast, and the vocalist in Blacknail had decided to move with them. I always like to attribute it as just like we did like an NBA style like screamo band trade <laughs> and swap the rights of me <laughs> for uh the vocalist and black nail and then we just kind of switched members and then decided to just start meth as like an actual project and everything and yeah we've just been cruising through ever since trying to rack up those assists get a couple triple doubles and <laughs> here we are but yeah no i mean it's been it's been a really really cool process and kind of being able to experiment too with just kind of having people come in and out i've always really wanted to run like more of a collective style band my other project kind of runs a lot more like that whereas math now i feel like like as much as mentioned before it's just i'm like we're we're, we're a band now <laughs> like completely so it, it feels a lot more solidified so Nathan, did you also come from Black Nail? I did not. I have played in hardcore bands with the drummer Andrew for probably about eight or nine years. We had our first band. I'm not from the area. I'm from Iowa, which is neighboring to Chicago. But yeah, about five or six years ago, I moved to Chicago and was just playing in bands with these guys. I've known Seb for years just because of Seb's old house venue. And, you know, when you're sort of involved with like Screamo, there's just not a ton of people that are involved in that scene. So you kind of get to know everybody. So when the previous bass player, Kyle left, yeah, Andrew gave me a call and I was a fan of the band and like was excited to join. My favorite's always just like when you're like, you're like, oh yeah, as soon as I saw you guys were looking for a bassist, <laughs> I was like, I know Andrew's going to give me a call right now. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I had just moved back to Chicago a few years back and I was sitting on the couch with my partner at the time and was just sort of perusing Facebook and saw Seb make a Facebook status that said, Meth is now looking for a bass player, having your own gear, transportation and touring experience. And I, I leaned over to her. I said, I'm going to get a phone call in about 15 minutes. <laughs> and <laughs> about 15, 20 minutes later, Andrew gave me a call and said, hey, buddy, are you in Chicago? And I said, am I joining Meth? He said, well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Come, in, <laughs> come and audition. And 
yeah, we just came in, played the tunes, the old tunes a few times, kind of met everybody. I had known Seb for a while, and I, I've known Andrew for like 10 years at this point. So, yeah, we all got along pretty well, and I got the gig. And this would have been early on when you guys were doing more of that chaotic hardcore, mathcore kind of style, right? No, this is actually, what, like maybe like two years ago? Yeah, so I've been in the band for about two years. Yeah. Two or three. Some, two or, or three or somewhere. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> After the pandemic, right when meth was kind of starting to pick up speed again, Kyle left and I hopped back in. So it was right when things were starting to open up again and the pandemic was kind of not over per se, but things were starting to get back to normal. Okay. We spoke about your songwriting a little bit and how uh, this, this collectivist version of, of meth has taken over some of the songwriting but in the early days Seb when you were writing songs were you composing everything with a with a drum machine and doing everything uh, through Pro Tools or another DAW oh no the first the first record or Children Are Watching was recorded in a day with just like me and uh, Zach guitarist just before he was in the band but like we worked together for a really long time I and mean, I've known him since like I, so I was like 15 16 years old and so we've been, like we've been really good friends for a really long time and i used to just go over to his house and like he just wanted to practice recording and i just had all these like really just stupid ideas i wanted to try and we we're like well oh, let's just try to write this like just weird like scene grind ep type thing and children are watching it's i actually drum on it and then we sample replaced everything to make it just sound completely like off the wall. And like, it almost is like a drum machine and just kind of sat there. I had no idea what any of those songs were going to sound like <laughs> prior. It was just tracking drums first. And then just kind of figuring out all the sound and texture on that. I barely, I, I don't even want to say that I was even like playing guitar on that record. It's just like, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing <laughs> on that first one. I just was not comfortable in a, with a stringed instrument in my hand yet at that point and just kind of was just wanting to make a lot of noise and a lot and just make it as fast as possible and just make it sound as like horrible and evil as we can make it sound. And then uh, as it progressed and I kind of got a little bit more comfortable playing guitar and just trying to write like I wrote a couple or like maybe like half of I love you and we fleshed that out as a band together and then just everything kind of like as it's progressed it was like the more and more that we like each EP and release I feel like is just more of a collaborative effort between like the band's to the point now where it's like i'm not really writing instrumentally for meth as of right now um, i've been writing a lot more with my like other projects just because every like i don't know just temperamental writer bullshit i guess and so just trying to find what fits and yeah now just a lot of it, i mean a lot of meth and everything too it's just always it's just trial and error just kind of trying things out 
seeing if we like it. We might like it for a week. We might like it for a couple months or something. And then just one day a switch might flip and just be like, oh, we hate this idea. Like, let's <laughs> just scratch it and move on to the next thing. Or maybe we dig up some idea from like two, three years ago that like we weren't a fan of or one of us wasn't a huge fan of. And then opinions just change and just kind of trying to be open and also like be comfortable not only like putting it out there and saying like when you do like or not like something and just kind of trying to make sure like that honesty aspect of everything is there too because i feel like the core point to the music that we're writing is like we want all of us to kind of really like everything that we're putting out first and foremost and like feeling that we all collectively feel the music strong and kind of finding that just that wave and trying to ride it together and feeling like we're a complete unit is kind of the most important thing as to the current state of where we are now for the next stuff. I have no idea what that's even going to look like. I can't even. Who knows? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, Nate, you could write all of it tonight and who knows, baby. Yeah. <laughs> if it's laid, we'd have another record in like three months and there we go. <laughs> so.
So in this in this collectivist version of math, how do songs come together? Do you guys write in a room together, or do you trade files back and forth? It's a combination. When I joined the band, we were, I think, maybe a couple songs into the writing of this record, and yeah, I, mean, I, th- yeah, I think we had maybe had yeah, like a couple songs, and for the most part, it was usually Zach coming through and. For this record, I think his approach, and I mean, I've, I don't want to misspeak for him, but he had mentioned one time he was a little bit more interested about textures on this record rather than riffs. And so it would be him kind of fooling around with whatever sort of HM2, dirt pedal, whatever, and just trying to make the nastiest sounding tones that he could, and then trying to write as, you know, apocalyptic, scary gross sounding sort of riffs or sounds that it could and then sort of building around that idea i think there's a a few songs on this record that are really just kind of born around a guitar sound more so than like a melody or like a motif or something like that yeah i feel like I, i feel like the perfect example of that on the record is the first song doubt yeah, doubt. And just kind of, I mean, we had always wanted to try to write like a song that was just one riff, like, or not even a riff. I mean, that's just like one chord. Just a note. Yeah, just one chord. Yeah. And just kind of pummeling it into you. Yeah. And just trying to figure out how far we can take one chord. And that song just, it's just over and over and over. And it just kind of exactly like what you were saying, Nate. It's just like we're trying to pummel the listener and, yeah, get as much life as we can out of just the most simple idea and seeing kind of where it takes us. And I think a lot of that too, a lot of this record too, is just really just taking the ideas that we had too and just really exploring where they could take and like where they naturally wanted to go. Like, yeah. And not necessarily like putting too much emphasis on things that like we wanted to do individually as musicians or something, or like just trying to strip away a lot of just being like, Oh, we want to write like a chaotic, like grindy song. So we're going to jump in and like try to force that into everything. And it was very much Zach kind of would have a riff record it. He would do every, like he would program drums off of easy drummer and then just kind of like record his guitar parts and do like a general bass part over it and just like send us his ideas. And then we kind of would collectively like pick things apart and then they would get together a lot of the time and really just also try to orchestrate everything too. I feel like Andrew had a lot of that. Just there's a lot of movement in what Andrew does. Andrew carries a lot of the songs because mm-hmm. whereas we might be playing something like very restrained is rhythm or note choices he kind of has to pick up the energy and sort of carry it i think shame is a really good example of that Mm -hmm. the sort of title track to the album a lot of the verses the drums really kind of drive the whole sound and i think for me personally as the playing bass on the record restraint was kind of the name of the game for me and i think it was for a lot of us I, I don't necessarily think so for the vocals, because once again, the vocals have to, the vocals and the drums kind of carry a lot of things. But for the rest of us, it was like restraint. How, how much can we pummel you with one note rather than 
a million notes because playing a million notes is really fun and is challenging in its own way. But having a little bit of restraint makes the louder, more chaotic parts of this record almost hit a little bit harder, in, in my opinion. So the album that we're talking about is called Shame. And as we're having this conversation, it'll be released at the end of the week through Prosthetic Records. We, we spoke a little bit about how this album is, is more pummeling and maybe less riffy, maybe more of a, an atmospheric experience. I'm, I'm curious if, if you guys went into, went into this album wanting to do something different from the kind of mathcore or chaotic hardcore stuff that you guys were doing previously. Oh, yeah, we, I, we, we definitely... You know, I, I don't want to say like we intentionally were like, we just really want to get away from that because it's not necessarily like we wanted to get away from it. But I think we just really wanted to kind of just expand on the sound and write something that felt different, write something that felt new, but still felt very like what meth is and just can kind of be more reflective of just where we're progressing. I don't, I think really any of us are apt to wanting to write something that even kind of gets a little bit too close to a record sounding like we're writing the same thing twice in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of the way that we jumped into this too, it was a lot of kind of trying to like do a lot of personal challenges like Nate was talking about with just kind of taking a step back and trying to dial back like the riffiness of it and Zach really wanting to experiment with textures. And I remember him like saying a lot of the times, like when we we're writing the record and everything, he was just like, yeah, I want no riffs on this record. <laughs> and just, just really hammering in that. It was just like, just, it needs to be gritty and it needs to like feel this way. And I know for me vocally in a lot of ways too, it was very, I felt like on mother of red light, I didn't shut the fuck up in a lot of <laughs> aspects of it. And I was just like, I want to dial it back and explore my vocal dynamic in different ways as well. So it was very much trying to incorporate more lows or a little bit more of like cleaner sounding vocals there. I mean, I think when we initially started this record, I didn't really, I went into it thinking I wasn't going to be screaming and then as we were writing the songs, it's like, no, these songs completely require harsh vocals and I'm not going to implement, I'm not going to just sit here and be like, no, it has to be this way. Like, and I think that, I mean, it was just for the better. Like, and I feel like vocally I got to try a lot of things and show a lot more range than I have in previous records that we've done and everything as well. And I just think collectively we all, like restricted ourselves in different ways but i feel like it also just made us just all just better as players and writers and everything and just kind of helped us just branch out of our comfort zone in a lot of different ways and i always kind of feel like that's the biggest goal of just what we want to get out of it as writers for like records and everything and just really trying to find something new and scratch those new itches and finding different ways to like test yourself and like, what can I do that isn't just running through like the motions. And if, as soon as we start feeling like you're running through the motions, it's like, we need to kind of take a step back and recalibrate and see what's going on. Like being in a band and like creating art is too much of a sacrifice at this point to do it without 
pushing yourself and getting growth and getting, you know, feeling like you're accomplishing something. It's to, to go through the motions and just kind of make the same thing over again. It's There's too much sacrifice. There's too much you have to put into it to not want to get the absolute most you can out of it. I also feel like we took a, like, I feel like when we went into writing, like, Nate, you weren't in the band at this time, mm-hmm. but I feel like you can attest to, like, the attitude shift within the band in a lot of ways, too, because I felt like when we were going into writing Mother of Red Light, it was very, like, we... I felt like we took things like too seriously because it was our first record and we like really wanted to establish ourselves just as what we were at that time. And like, I just felt like that recording process compared to this one was extremely grueling. Whereas like, I feel the whole band is really like lightened up and we've just gotten a lot more comfortable with each other. And this one was great. Yeah, this one was super great. And it's just like, I just feel like the chemistry has just been off the charts with everything too. And that's been like a huge, huge factor is just like, not that there was like issues or anything prior. It's just like, I just feel like the five of us just really click and we all can kind of just like read each other in a lot of really just good ways. And I mean, especially live too. Like, I mean, Nate, like when we first started playing together and like when he like his first shows with the band like i usually like trying to just be all over the place or i'm just kind of going wherever like wherever i'm just feeling like going in the moment and it was like the second or third show that we had played like back together but nate like beat the shit out of me (laughs) on stage and and it was like one of my favorite things ever because like i was just like on my knees at one point and all of a sudden there's just like a boot to my chest and i was like whoa <laughs> like no, like like no one ever like hits me or like 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 invades my space and i was like i love this like it's just like everyone's feeling comfortable and it's just like i and it was like honestly weirdly it was like when we started getting to that point of everything it just that's when everything started really really feeling like really really good like in that the band was in like a really tight and good place i want the record to show that the band got way better after i started kicking seb on stage (laughs) (laughs) yeah well because we knew we're like dude we gotta step up or nate's gonna like kick the shit out of (laughs) us sad I gave I gave Mike one one night and he wasn't so thrilled about it. He was oh I, I I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for the for the mic to come swinging on stage left one of these nights and for me to get my just desserts as I know it's coming. <laughs> I'm just waiting. Yeah, I've just been I've I've been plotting. <laughs> I'm a metalhead who loves hardcore, and it was always funny to me to go back and forth between the two scenes this is a huge digression i apologize but go for it oh no you're the thought just occurred to me it was always funny to go back and forth between the two scenes where one was very precious about playing every note perfectly and the other was you know you never really knew what was going to happen in terms of like you know the singer jumping off the stage and maybe there wouldn't be anyone there to catch them (laughs) and you know what i mean (laughs) yeah sometimes uh three or four guitar strings would break and the band would keep going i'm curious nate on on your side where this the, the physicality of, your, of the performance and interacting with the band members, and I'm assuming the audience gets a little bit as well, where that comes from. Yeah, I try to just give it to Seb. <laughs> no, but I grew up more into the like punk and hardcore thing. I've gotten 
much more into metal as I've gotten older, like in the recent probably five years I've been, you know, there was like a lot of toilet music that I kind of like shunned and, you know, like shied away from when I was a kid. And then here I am at like 31 years old, like looking up old torso fuck videos, like, oh, cool. You know, you know, this is a little bit of a, I should have just gone to therapy, you know, but for, <laughs> for me back in the day, it was like, that was what I kind of latched onto where bands like, a band like Gallows, which is not a band that's, I would say, particularly heavy, but they were a band where none of them were pretty. They couldn't sing very well or play their instruments very well, but they would sort of get into the audience and beat themselves up and play as fucking hard as possible. And I always look to that and, and or bands like Black Flag where you, you know, they're bleeding and exhausted by the end of it. And I feel like if you're not giving everything you have, why are you doing it? And I get that when you're playing in more technical metal bands, it's not probably great to bludgeon yourself when you've got, you know, another two weeks of tour and you can't pull off, you know, your, you know, technical sort of riffs or parts anymore or, you know, stuff like that. It's, it doesn't work for everything, but I feel like a band like meth relies so heavily on us giving everything we have, you know, and I can, I, I mean, Seb is a, not to, not to get real, uh, real weird on him, but Seb's like a, absolutely S tier performer. I mean, he literally gets on stage and bleeds every night. So I'm just trying to give as much as I can to try to match him. And I think that we're all on that level of like, we need to try to match Seb because if Seb is giving everything he has every night, I, who am I to say, no, nah, you, you go for it. I'll just play the bass over here. No. <laughs> and when, when we say Seb, bleeds on stage you mean that quite literally right like i've seen photos with said you look like you you got cut open by the mic stand or something like that yeah it's it turned into a thing i don't even remember when it like actually started but i mean it, it definitely i'm it stems a lot from you know like bleeding and like wrestling and stuff but like also it has like that weird like that therapeutic aspect to everything and like i've just always like similar to, to nate like talking about gallows and everything and it was just like i've always like really really heavily resonated with like like the front men who just go out and it's like not only is it just like giving a hundred percent in a lot of different ways but it's like trying to tap into something and make it a little bit more therapeutic for yourself but then like in a lot of different ways too it's like performing like we're up there we're performing and we're trying like to me it's like every time we're playing like a set i am trying to tell a story of some sort i like of just however i'm moving during that set or just whatever like is going through and it's just like again you just kind of let everything just kind of take you and you just naturally follow it but like the blood element it was just like i don't know i just felt like I needed it on that first show and it just felt really good. And it was just me bashing my head in with my like car keys that were just in my pocket.
So I, I want to go back a little bit to the writing of the album. Mm-hmm. Seb, you, you mentioned that you you wanted to focus more on the, the art direction side of, of the album and handed over a lot of the writing to to your bandmates. Uh, at, at, were you very involved with following what was going on or were you staying away until the songs were completed? No, I, I, I was pretty, I, I knew everything that was going on with the songs. Like we would send ideas and everything going through like just like our chats and everything. And I'd made sure to like really stay on top of that. And I'd give my input and everything. I think it was just a matter of like physically writing. Cause I was also working on like some of my, my solo work and kind of trying to write between the two just wasn't meshing. And a lot of like the ideas that I had, just like they didn't feel like math in a lot of ways. And I was just, I just felt like, in order for it to progress in a way that it needs to, I just thought me kind of taking that step back and kind of putting that creative energy into like, like my writing into my other project and then just shifting over and really kind of trying to focus on the style and just everything that we wanted like to visually represent with this record and how I was going to differ from mother of red light. Cause like with Mother, I mean, it was just like this kind of grueling concept album to write. And that just, it took a lot out of me to like think so much about that. It was just like a lot of just kind of self-research into the topics of that record. And then just having to always want to write like a concept piece being on the other end of it. It was just like, I don't think I can do this, but what, <laughs> like, I don't, I, I don't, I didn't necessarily want to do that again for this record and kind of i just felt like the band needed to evolve and like lyrically and stylistically get away a little bit from like the the cult imagery and like i mean when we were first playing and stuff too it was like we would play in like those these weird like collarless shirts and like we were wearing like the same shirts like every show and it got to a point too where like end of tours it was like those shirts were fucking nasty like it just completely <laughs> i never got to do the shirts man i I wish <laughs> yeah no dude like well i mean even even the ones that we have now are just like <laughs> wearing just like normal shirts like after the shows it's just like these are gross i don't understand how we had the other ones like I'd, I'd be like on like day five or six of a run wearing like some white button-up shirt and it's just like brown from the filth of the floor and just like whatever the <laughs> shit is and it's like almost hard and like crusted over too and it's like these are fucking gross like holy shit but like it it fit thematically for like what we wanted to do but it was just like i don't know i just felt like we kind of all wanted to step away from that a little bit more and just kind of like really focus in on like the music and i really wanted to figure out the theme for it and just kind of, you know, carry it so it could still hold a torch to like what we had done prior, but kind of make it a little bit more personal. And then as we dove in a lot more, it became very personal and then very just like (laughs) the way everything's developed with the record and just like the presentation of the record and everything too. I just feel like, like, I'm I'm very happy with all of it. I feel comfortable with where this 
record kind of fell as it is right now. Maybe six months from now, I'll probably heavily critique myself and be like, could have done this different, could have done this different, but for right now, I'll enjoy it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so well, let's let's talk about those those themes. Can you tell me a little bit about the the lyrics you came up with for the album and how it ties into the artwork that you created? Yeah, so I had, like I had mentioned before, was writing very narrative fictional stories for what I Love You and what Mother of Red Light were. And it was, you know, kind of channeling into like my personal emotions, but tapping into them metaphorically and I feel like I'd always kind of used metaphors as a crutch for kind of writing about myself, but not really wanting to, I guess, write about myself. And while I still feel like the lyrics and everything on shame carry a lot of metaphor, I think it's a lot more direct where it's not just like cloaked in fiction in a lot of different ways and just kind of trying to rip the bandaid off and just feel what like I needed to feel to kind of jump in and like the title of the record it just carries a lot of just my personal feelings about myself and not to say that like I I, I'm not going to turn into like a therapy session or anything but it's just like just dealing with just issues like I've had a lot of on and off struggles drinking and kind of finding out about just getting right after the pandemic happened, just being diagnosed as like bipolar and just kind of trying to find like some balance and really kind of figure myself out in a lot of ways. And, but it was also like, it's always been kind of embarrassing for me to talk about in a lot of ways because I've just not, I've never really been taught or like, the way I was raised and everything, like we never really like talked about our feelings and anything. And it was always just kind of like putting like a mask on in a lot of different ways and just kind of not like bottling things up. Like I, like my family is like very supportive and great, but it's just like, we like, you know, you just like when you, when you're not used to being comfortable kind of in your own skin in a lot of ways too. And just like, you're kind of trying to just like go through each day appeasing everyone else. And you kind of forget what it's like to appease yourself. And then you start kind of really examining, saying a lot of where I was during the time of writing a lot of these lyrics too. It's just like, I just felt like I was kind of like spiraling out in certain ways and like mentally just, I was just super stressed out all the time. Just, with work and just kind of overloading, like it's just like work, music and like my home life and just like trying to find some sort of balance for everything. And I was just like super, super, super stressed out all the time. And I would drink and I was broke all the time. So like I was stressed out about money and I'd be trying to figure out like all these different just ways to handle it. And I've never been good at handling my emotions in any way. And so I, try to run from them in a lot of different just whatever I could find. And that just kind of creates this cycle of viciousness towards myself. And I just like was never really happy with what I was doing or like kind of like who I was becoming during those time periods. And it's just, it's been a lot like trying to like just kind of accept myself as 
who I am and trying to not feel shame and feel ashamed and just growing up too in like a Christian household and stuff too. It's just like, I was just kind of <laughs> instilled with the fear of like going to hell when I was like a kid. Like I just, I, I know I've talked about this before, but it's just like, just thinking of like when my dad would preach like revelations to us, like, and I was like in like fourth grade and I had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. I just knew that like everything he was saying, it was just like, Oh, the world's going to end soon. And you need to make sure that like Jesus has saved you and, or you're going to hell. And that I feel like even to this day, like some of the, some of the times I, t- I mean, whenever I talk to him, he's like, yeah, the world, the world, like look where the world is. Like it's going to end soon. And it's just like, you've been saying this like my whole life, like, <laughs> like it went, when's it going to happen? Like just whatever. And, but there, there, there's a lot too, like even with stuff like, like mine and his relationship too. Like, I mean, he asked me about this band, on his own for the first time, like ever, like within the last few months and was just kind of like, Oh, how is that? And he asked me how I would describe <laughs> this music, which like when you brought it up at the beginning of the show <laughs> or the, the, this cast, I was just like brought completely back to that. And I literally was just like, uh, we sound like Metallica because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was just like, I'm not even going to dive in to any, like, it's not going to make sense to you in any way. Like just I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and, but it like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I just feel like shame as a feeling has always just been something that I've carried a lot of, whether it be like reasonable and valid or just kind of invalid and just a lot, or I don't even want to say invalid, but it's just like kind of following my own like paranoias and just like my own personal criticisms of just like, kind of you know just like that trickling feeling of always just kind of feeling like you're doing something wrong or you're letting someone down and that not really being the case most of the time and i i think my biggest problem as a person is like i tend to assume i know everything that's going to happen moving like coming up and i always kind of like try to adjust and feel like i know the answer to a lot of things and i don't and i think that just it's just it's just a big conglomeration of all these like complicated emotions that I don't really know how to talk about and deal with in a lot of ways. And I felt like that what perfect way, what perfect place to put them other than this music that we're making, I guess, and just kind of try to rip the bandaid off in a way and just dive in. I think that was just kind of it's definitely the hardest thing for me to write lyrically for any project that I've ever done.
maybe this ties into our discussion of, uh, about your your live performances, but you know this this therapeutic cathartic outlet that you have with the lyrics. Do you do you find yourself wanting to express that physically when you guys play live? I think so. I think honestly, a lot of when <laughs> when I did kind of start like bleeding on stage, like I'm that just kind of was like the next level to amp it up and to feel something a little bit more. And not that I wasn't like feeling things when we played, but I did just like kind of start feeling like I was running through the motions, like during our live performances, I was like, okay, I kind of like do this scream here. And then I find myself out in the crowd, like kind of like pushing people around or kind of like letting people like throw me around. And then I'm on the floor and like, just, and then it was just kind of like, seeing the response from people and then like after playing shows and knowing people have seen us like three, four or five times. And it's like, I don't ever want to feel like we're putting on like the same show or I don't want it to feel like someone's coming to see us and they're going to like see our set online or something and just be like, Oh, they're playing exactly this today. And it's like, like it's always trying to tinker with how, can I make this feel not only different for me, but different for the people viewing us? And what can I do to kind of project my, just the the feelings that I have? How can I project that into the crowd? And a lot of it too. Yeah. It just, it's just like an escalation of like self harm, I guess, in certain ways, like when we're playing, and I, I know it's not necessarily like the healthiest thing. <laughs> like, uh, it's definitely not a thing that like my close, close family and stuff like love to see. <laughs> like we all grew up watching wrestling and stuff and different capacities. And it's just like, I mean, those were always like some of my, like, I mean, that's like a lot of my childhood, like memories. It's just like watching stuff like that. And it's like, they kind of, I mean, they get it to a certain degree, but it's just like the same time. It's like, like coming home from shows and like I sit in the shower for like 15 minutes and I'm just kind of like decompressing. And that's usually like when I'm just kind of trying to take everything in and then I'm just like draining, getting, trying to get all this blood out of my hair in different ways. And I'm just kind of like thinking back on the show and like, it takes a lot out of me, I guess. But I, again, it just, it, it wouldn't feel like it was worth it if it didn't. And like, I just, I, I just never, if I ever feel like I'm just going through the motions and just kind of like up there just to be up there and it's not really like hitting something for me. Has to be authentic. Yeah, exactly. That, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It a hundred percent just, it, it has to feel real because it has to be real and it has to, and it starts, I feel like it always just starts with me. Like, and I have to get in that headspace of. And when you're trying to tell a story or trying to convey some emotion, sometimes you can't tell a story just kind of standing on stage and singing, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it has to be very physical and raw and sometimes painful. But I think, I, I think that's one reason why people enjoy our live show so much is because it feels authentic. You mentioned that your guitarist, Zach engineered this. Mm -hmm. Did Zach handle all the recording on his own? For the most part. Yeah. What, what we ended up doing was we went to a little, I guess you'd call it an artist commune in new douglas illinois and it was it's sort of like a two-story farmhouse with a really big really nice live room 
and we took Zach's desk and his sort of reasonably minimal outboard gear and set up a little control room and then set up a live room and knocked out the record in about six days. The place that you recorded, I think, is, is an interesting place. Can you tell me a little bit about Roseraft? I understand that it was a, a funeral home at one point. Yeah, it was a funeral home. So it was not as spooky as we thought it would be. But it was just a pretty nice little building in, I guess you would say, maybe southern Illinois. It was, I think, a few hours drive from Chicago. And yeah, it was kind of out in a food desert. There was two bars and a Dollar General about 10 minutes away. And so most of the time, we would record all day and then drive up to, was it Litchfield? 30 minutes away, 45 minutes away, go get a couple Domino's pizzas. And one night we went to Denny's. Can't forget that. <laughs> and um, yeah, we just sort of were in this kind of very rural little town, just nothing really to do but hang out, record, watch YouTube videos, bond. I wasn't there. Yeah. But I did hear about, I mean, Nate recording all of his parts in like a night. Christ. And how many beers did you have? <laughs> Ah, fuck 13 <laughs> well so shameful well yeah so so one night i was really itching to get my parts done since seb and i both work in music production and like live music venues in chicago and so when we recorded my schedule was totally slammed i could only get i think like three days off so when we got there i was like man i really want to record my parts want to make sure i get them in and so i think we had just tracked some guitar we had gotten some beers i think we got a couple 12 packs and i just said to zach hey man let's just get some bass tones like we were just going all in the box for the bass sounds and i was like let's just get some tones let's just have some fun and once we sort of got a, a good tone going i was like well let's let's give it a shot and yeah we recorded until about 7 or 8 a.m in the morning and i think i drank 13 beers and you can kind of hear it on the record, especially <laughs> I had asked Zach later on. I was like, could you send me the like bass and drum stems? Cause I can't remember what the fuck I played. And so there's a couple, there's some kind of interesting little bass licks. I had to relearn sober, but yeah, recording was a great time, man. It was real easy. Just think we got done a day early. <laughs> I went back up to Chicago. They packed everything up and that was the record. And then we sent it off to Colin Marston. Is that, is that they say? Yeah, name? Colin Marston. Yeah. Yeah. And he mixed the record and I think also mastered the record. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was just between Zach and Colin. And yeah, Zach did a fantastic job. Everything. I mean, the tracks that we sent off to Colin sounded huge. They sounded great. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big asset to have someone like Zach in the band for sure. Well, why, why Roseraft? Did Zach have a relationship with them prior? No. Or did you guys just like the location being isolated? Yeah. I, I think, I, oh, yeah. No, well, I mean, I, I initially, like when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do for this record, I mean, we've been, me and Zach have talked about wanting to like record kind of, what the hell is that? Oh, that movie. Have you seen that movie, Frank? 
where they just like it's just like about a band but they like spend like three four months like in the middle of the woods just like writing and recording like their next record and i always thought that was just like a really interesting thing just to kind of have that isolation and that was something me and zach had always like shared in terms of like that'd be a really cool way to record and just kind of if i'm not mistaken mother was recorded sort of piecemeal with everybody so the drums were done at bricktop yeah and then everybody just kind of came in to zach's like little home studio Mm -hmm. and recorded their parts and I don't think anyone was super fired up about doing that again. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like, I don't want to say it was uninspired, but like, it just like the, it, cause it's just also like, we practice at Zach's all the time. So we're there all the time. And then like, when we're kind of like trying to get to the mindset of like this new record and stuff, just kind of being in the same like location and everything, just like, just didn't feel right. And we felt that we just kind of wanted to, kind of get out of that and not have it and just kind of take in like the atmosphere of like a different like offsite location or like a non-traditional studio I not guess. have distractions yeah very you much. know not, not have distractions and also if everyone has to have this be their schedule then everybody has to block that time out Mm-hmm. And also sometimes it helps having everybody in the control room or you know in and out to you know, kind of give their opinion on a performance or about a song section or a tone or something like that. It, it it's better to, I, I, I mean, at least for us, I think it's better for us to all kind of be together and kind of in the spirit of collaboration, sort of do it like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Zach would have let me take that many beers over to his, to his <laughs> house. <laughs> yeah. He would, he would have capped you hard and, and he would have capped me. Would, yeah. And his foot would have been tapping on the floor just like, like mm, Nate, mm. no, <laughs> I would not have gotten to thirteen, and the record would not have turned out as well as it has. I don't even think we would have, we would have had just another Stig record, honestly. Probably have another Stig Binky record, yeah. Which is another. <laughs> we don't need to dive off. To, that's this dives off a little bit, but yeah, let's not go too deep into Stig Binky and the Google Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for as serious and intense as this record is, it only exists because in between records, we have to write comedy records because we're idiots. And (laughs) yeah. So what we were just talking about was this dumb comedy record that we wrote that really just exists between the five of us. And it's great. And I recommend that to anyone. If you need to clear your head, just, fucking write bullshit comedy music and palette points. It's great. <laughs> is the comedy record available online? Yes. If you look up Stig Binky, the album. <laughs> yes. And it's called Christmas for One. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dude, we have to. I got I got to plug Stig yeah, too, man. I guess if we're going <laughs> to... But yeah, you know, just when you have some downtime, you know, you need to cool off. That's definitely a a good listen.
So as you mentioned, Colin Marston handled the mixing and mastering of this. Mm-hmm. Colin's name comes up on this podcast regularly. You know, I've, I've spoken to bands who flew all the way from Italy to work with him. I've spoken to bands who flew all the way from the Midwest to, to work with him. Why Colin? Why did you choose him to, to handle handle the, the final mix and uh, the mastering of this? I think, well, so I mean, we all we all like his work and he's, he did a really great job on this record. We couldn't be more thrilled with the way that it turned out. But I think Zach and Andrew were very influenced by his work with like Imperial Triumphant and with he did he's he's done Portal right I think I, there I were, think he did Portal and yeah. he did like an old Wreck and Reference record too that was really fucking cool yeah and so those guys were especially influenced by the sound of those records and so when it came time to like try to figure out who to like mix and master it was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty unanimous that we go with Colin. Yeah, and I think too for Zach in a lot of ways too. It was just kind of like it it checked a big box for him too because he's a huge, huge Corrales fan and like just kind of being able to work with him and I think his writing style kind of was made for Colin to like mix and <laughs> just kind of put his fingers in and it. Yeah, it just very much felt like it made it made a lot of sense, and I think the result of the record and everything too. I think when he sent us like the first mix, I, th- I think it's in Compulsion, but he added this like I don't even remember what the fuck he did to it. But like we're listening back to it, and I was like, dude, this there's like this weird like harsh just like almost white noise swelling underneath like the track that like I was like, did we sneak in a track that like none of us like really like could hear over the mix or something? And then like. It was just like really, really, really cool. And Colin was like, oh, I did this like automation thing. And I was just like, I love that you felt enough to want to try to add something into this in a in, in a way. And like, and the fact that it was just so harsh and so noisy and it just like, I think on its own, it just wouldn't, it like, it wouldn't sound like anything. And it was just like, that's what we want. <laughs> and he just got it. And yeah, I don't know. He just, uh, he just gets it. I think like for what yeah. we're trying to accomplish and put out there. And uh, yeah, he just uh, couldn't have asked for a, a better mix on this record. Yeah. I, I think Zach was like trying to give him a layup, trying to like, you know, record things to make sure it's just like, he could just totally knock it out of the park. And I, I think he did. I think that it was recorded almost in a way just to make sure that like, you know, Colin would have a good time, you know, working on this. So, yeah, I I think that Zach Colin combo it just just worked. So, by the time people hear this episode, the album will be out, and you guys will be on the road. Do you want to say anything about the tour that you have coming up? Yeah, we have. What is it? We're going out six days with Deaf Club. Just fucking chaotic, chaotic. Punk from LA, Justin Pearson from like the Locust, one of his projects, one of my favorite vocalists, just in punk in general. So just being able to do that with them is super exciting. And then we have like 10 days going south with some friends. So we're taking this band Blackwater Sniper, who are based in Chicago, that I definitely recommend everyone checking out. Just the two piece fucking chaotic power violence band they dress in ghillie suits and 
just destroy and just yeah we're kind of hitting the road going out with them playing with the holy ghost tabernacle choir with see you next tuesday prior to that another band that like i just like grew up playing and we've gotten to play with them a couple times before and like they've become like some of our favorite people in general like just sweet men yeah absolutely (laughs) those guys are making some of the most complicated music i can watch and i'm just like how the fuck are you guys playing like this like in just in general but yeah we i mean we have that tour in february and then we're announcing another run of shows in march i'm totally fine saying this it hasn't been announced yet it's like six or seven dates on the east coast with sawtooth grin and then doing some stuff with state faults and Dreamwell on the west coast so just trying to stay busy uh, and just get everywhere that we normally can't but yeah i'm very excited and very tired (laughs) in anticipation of this already in terms of like let's just fucking let's do this i'm very I'm, i'm ready i'm very ready yeah so by the time people hear this podcast shame will be out through prosthetic records yes Seven Nate? Yes. Please tell everyone how they can order the album. What's the best way to get it? So the best way at the album, the absolute best way, is to be going to our record release show at Talia Hall on February 2nd. But this will probably be out after that. So you missed out. Probably the next best is going to be going to Prosthetic. I don't think Hello Merch carries our records, do they? No, uh, Hello Merch no. has all of our uh, shirts and like we have merch. All of our soft merch. Yeah, all of our soft merch. So I'm assuming it'll be available on Bandcamp. Yeah. It'll be available through Prosthetics website. Mm-hmm. I think those would probably be the best best places to get it. Probably get them there or if you wanted to, you know, just burn it. <laughs> somehow it's dub your own copy of the record too sure yeah we're okay with that that's yeah fine. if you want to listen to it on spotify that's great dub it. anyway you want to listen to it will be great apple music title i'm sure it'll be on youtube somewhere pure you volume My pure space. volume last fm i'm sure it's going to be on last fm add us under the scary core tag <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you want to say anything about the the vinyl version that Prosthetic is is making for this? Yeah, so yeah, we have uh, like I, I think there's 500 in the first press, but one of the things that we're planning on doing a little bit more down the line too is just having a lot of different variants of vinyl for this. So if you want like the true album cover version of it, it'd probably be best to get the this pressing of it because as we press more the colors will all change and that that's assuming we do press another one so hopefully we get that opportunity but it you know just different it's different just different options for the collector full as a collector person i think it's it's always good the the first one is going to be white correct? it's white with the red cover and that we're trying to you know Go more in like piss tones for the for yeah, the other yeah. ones. We're a big piss yeah, band. we're big piss guys. So the first the first variants the AFI variant, second ones the piss yep. variant, <laughs> piss core. 
see for the third record seb's gonna piss his pants on stage yeah that's where that's where this is that's sort of where the narrative is gonna go is that hopefully we'll be able to get all the guys to piss their pants i just don't think i don't think Andrew pisses yeah pants. i think mike would. i think mike he would exactly i think he'd be i think reluctant but i think we could get him to do it I think we could get Zach. I'll piss my pants. Oh, I know you would. That's fine. I know me and me and you. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's why. <laughs> That's why you know I'm here. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Uh, so piss and AFI. Where did AFI come? In? <laughs> Is the red tie? Or didn't were you one of those back in high school? Yeah, I, I yeah, I just yeah. Okay, so, I can see it. Yeah. I'll give it. I'll give it to you. That's yeah. fine. AFI piss yeah. core, I guess that's okay. But to go back to the sure. original question, that's our genre. AFI piss core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all comes uh, full circle. It's like the the snake eating its own piss or whatever. <laughs> and if people want to follow meth online for whatever reason, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure after after hearing this this last exchange, but yeah, <laughs> if you want more of that. How can people? How can people follow you guys online? I have to cut that whole section. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Best way to find us is on Instagram. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of it. I think we're on everything. I don't think we have a. Yeah. We have a secret TikTok that we tried to do in preparation for this record that didn't work out. Did not work out at all. But but that that's something for a different day. But. Yeah, no. Just thought we're on all the norms. Just meth.band. On Instagram. On Instagram. Meth.noise on Facebook. Cool. Thanks, guys.